As promised, here is the full unedited interview with Robert Walker. Please note that this took place at the beginning of June 2020. I hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. So, Rob, nice to be talking with you today. Do you want to just uh, explain to everybody who you are, what your job is, and what your what your history is in the investment markets? Sure. Uh, so, thank you uh, for inviting me. Um, so, I uh, my name's Robert Walker. I work uh, in the city. I've worked uh, in the investment markets since 1994. So. Uh, just over 25 years, and I've been running money uh, in earnest probably about 18 of those years. So um, we've seen quite a few um, periods of market turmoil in that time, um, which is uh, obviously uh, an echo of what we're going through at the moment. Um, So those would include um, when Alan Greenspan, the head of the Fed, uh, said in 1996 that there was some irrational exuberance in markets. Um, clearly, we then saw the tech bubble, uh, which was uh, a number of years in the making that um, uh, well and truly um, burst very quickly. And then uh, following that, 2003, we saw the war in Iraq. Um, interestingly, where some of the shares that I owned for companies I worked for in the financial sector at the time, uh, this was Invesco, Perpetual, um, fell from $18 to $3 at the time, from the highest point when uh, the US invaded uh, Iraq to the lowest point, but they bounced back very quickly. So that's an interesting um, history of mine. And then uh, roll forward, obviously, to the world uh, global financial crisis, um, 2008, 9, and 10. Um, and then uh, we've had some very favorable years since then. Um, and obviously, this year has been a period of unprecedented turmoil. So that's uh, a very quick um, history uh, of my uh, investment career. So uh, I hope that gives you some context in terms of, um, yeah. Yeah, well, thinking thinking about that um, that period of time, I was I was actually reading the other day about the uh, one of the crises that you will remember, although you haven't mentioned it, the one that involved uh, long term capital management, which I think was around the the late nineties and the yeah ninety eight that was yeah uh, and the cost of that bailout was about four billion US dollars, which by today's standards sounds like an almost parochial amount of money, doesn't it? Yeah, so that was a company um, that was effectively uh, borrowing in sovereign debt and investing um, in corporate debt and earning um, the difference between the two, but leveraging that investment, I think it was over 100 times from memory. Um, So uh, when uh, some volatility occurred, obviously leveraged investors Um, particularly uh, that are trying to um, increase returns um, on the upside are very much uh, exposed to the downside. So there was a blip in markets and it was only for a few months. It wasn't a prolonged crisis in terms of um, the the overall market. But interestingly, uh, Alan Greenspan also said, um, no, sorry, it was Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked. And uh, it takes those sort of events for um, to expose, I think, 
uh, investors who, who've taken too much risk and uh, borrowed money to invest, which is something that I would never personally advocate, but uh, hedge funds at the time um, did it over 100 times, which is astounding, really. But uh, it shows you, I think, the degree of um, development that we've seen since then in terms of regulation. I, I really don't think that would be allowed to happen today. Yeah, it's interesting. You touched on a couple of things there. One is, is volatility and, and what that can do to asset markets. And one of the um, one of the clips that I shared earlier in the podcast was uh, Warren Buffett at his annual general meeting quite recently. And he mentioned that there were three times in the history of Berkshire Hathaway, his holding company, where the, the stock has gone down peak to trough over 50%. So there is something even with... Um, you know, a very solid investor like Buffett that still doesn't render you immune to volatility. So I was wondering if you might just speak to that a little bit. I I sometimes say to people, if you want to invest without volatility, it's rather like wanting to have a swim without getting wet. Um, I was just wondering to what extent you agree with that comment and, and to what extent um, you think that volatility is a, just a normal part of the investment process uh, investment process and not really the same thing as risk uh, in, a tr- in its true sense. Yeah, well, I guess volatility is one measure of risk, but there are many others. And uh, some might say the risk should be defined as a permanent loss of capital. Um, and I guess that's the key point, is that Warren Buffett uh, in his Berkshire Hathaway investment company has no fixed time horizon. So he can afford to take a multi-decade view uh, with regard to shorter-term market volatility, whether that's over one, three, or five years. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned that it, it halved in value uh, a few times. There's also uh, an interesting example with Amazon, which is uh, the world's leading one of the largest companies in the world, clearly a beneficiary of the COVID virus online shopping trend. Um, And that's grown 100,000% since it listed on the market. But along the way, investors have seen it fall 95% from peak to trough once, over 50% six times, and 15% 100 times, um, and it's fallen 6% in a day, nearly 200 times. So to earn that 100,000% growth since you listed, you've had to endure um, a huge amount of volatility along the way. So if you had the luxury of not having to have your capital back, um, you can, just as Warren Buffett does, I think you can ride through those uh, periods of volatility. Um our clients that we look after, uh, or I've looked after in, uh, historically, and this would apply to most of the industry, have a very different time horizon. Some of our clients say uh, we have between three and five years, uh, which we would regard to be quite a short-term time horizon. Uh, six to ten years would be, uh, I would classify as a medium-term time horizon, and over ten years, I would say, is long-term. So, uh, so take the global financial crisis Clearly, had you uh, required your capital back at the low point, that's a permanent loss of capital and therefore um, ruinous to your uh, overall wealth. But this is why we 
spend a huge amount of time going through our clients' attitude to risks. Um, and we uh, ask a number of theoretical questions before we start a relationship, which covers off scenarios such as that and what their reaction might be. Uh, clearly, when they need the money back is also another factor. So uh, I've mentioned those time horizons and uh, Warren Buffett, I think, is an extreme long-term scenario. I think realistically, um, unless you're putting money away for children, they don't anticipate for until they're age 30 from, from the year of birth. I think most people have uh, a time horizon of, uh, lower. Um, but over 10 years, um, what I've experienced in my career is that um, in periods such as the one we've just experienced or uh, global financial crisis or that experience with my Invesco Perpetual shares back in 2003 um, when they fell from $18 down to three, uh, is that unless you're forced to, to re, re, have that capital back, you can uh, afford to remain invested and enjoy the recovery when it comes. And the last 10 years to the end of 2019 has proved uh, since the global financial crisis that um, growth investors who are the most exposed to that volatility and temporary loss of uh, capital in markets had the luxury of not crystallizing those losses and uh, remaining invested for the recovery when it came. So um, most clients uh, that I look after sit somewhere in the middle of cautious and growth, so that's obviously balanced. Um, six to ten years, I think, is sufficient time to uh, remain invested after a period that we've just seen uh, and the global financial crisis and see uh, some sense of recovery of your capital and in, indeed growth. And, and what we saw um, since the financial crisis to the end of last year was a very favourable period of, of returns for clients. Um, and so um, we're not in a position to promise what might happen in the future because no one knows uh, the path of, of what's ahead of us. But um, clearly you've seen a recovery uh, since the low point of the 20th of March. And um, unless you were forced to liquidate right at the low point, um, you've seen clients of mine have seen um, losses of single digits this year when the FTSE, for example, FTSE 100 is down 20%. So um, that gives you some idea of um, what clients have experienced this year. Okay. And in, in terms of, um, I mean, it's one thing to to have theoretically the capacity to uh, be able to ride out the storm. Um, it's another thing when you're in the middle of the storm and your emotions start to take over. Now, uh, I assume that you're able to manage that fairly well. What's the kind of thing that you say to clients when you're in that moment um, when the markets are having some of those, uh, you know, terrible down days where you might see, you know, several percentage points wiped off the major indices, how do you, um, how do you personally remain convinced that you're going in the right direction? Because I think all of us feel that uh, that sort of nagging concern in the pit of our stomachs at times, um, and it's important to be able to manage that. How, what, what's the kind of what's your thought process? How do you manage that as a firm? Mm. 
Um, so I would argue that it it is how your position going into um, a crisis such as the global financial crisis or the um, the virus volatility that we've had this year is more important as to how you react at the time. So in my experience over that 20 plus year history, um, we've tended to do a huge amount of work on a client's circumstances uh, in terms of do they need the capital back? Do they need an income? Uh, what is their time horizon? Is this the pot of capital they just don't need to touch for a period of time? And, and typically all that homework that we do um, pays dividends in terms of um, uh, clearly these are emotional times. We're not robots. We're all, we're all human beings. We all have emotions when it comes to these sort of things. Um, but that focus on quality uh, in terms of companies that we've invested with. So these tend to be companies that uh, have lower levels of debt, are in stronger positions of uh, either technological advantages or have a, uh, a franchise in terms of patents or branding, such as a good example might be LVMH, the luxury goods company. Um, these sort of companies tend to be very have very robust balance sheets and therefore uh, are able to ride out the storm uh, of the economy and the economic negative um, effects that come from events like the global financial crisis and, and the COVID virus um, and come out the other side in a position of strength relative to their peers. So um, each sell-off is different, but at the time of the low point in markets, the fear tends to be uh, elevated and there are a number of measures of that one uh, I can give you an example of is the VIX index which is a measure of volatility uh, and technically it's a measure of how expensive it is to insure a portfolio against um, market falls uh, and that was elevated um, in March clearly and has fallen quite substantially since so um, I would say we tended we have tended to avoid companies uh, that are overexposed to an economic cycle. So those might be uh, areas such as general retailers, which I think there's been a recession in the high street for many years. If you look at um, uh, department stores, for example, uh, and if you look at the assets that are associated with them, so commercial property, uh, is an area that uh, I've avoided for many years because we just don't think the returns have been there versus the risk that you're running of um, a, a dip in consumer spending. And clearly that has uh, fallen substantially. And I think you're going to see further volatility there. Um, other areas that we've avoided, are, uh, areas like airlines and travel agents, um, exhibition companies, um, and the entertainment industry. These are all, um, unfortunately, uh, going to continue to run into problems from the COVID crisis. Um, so it's interesting, when, coming back to the point I made, it's how your position coming into a crisis, I think, that's important. Uh, and historically, I have always found that sticking to quality companies has um, helped in terms of um, limiting the downside relative to distressed companies. Um, and 
by focusing on quality, you tend to be more, um, have a, a safer mentality in terms of remaining invested for when uh, markets do recover. Uh, and obviously they have recovered historically. It has taken some time, more than others. Um, this time, uh, I think, is unprecedented and we haven't had this in my investment career and and i would imagine most uh, of my peers across the industry haven't really experienced this sort of setback um, and the path of ahead of us is uncertain but um, that's why we have a broad spread of assets for our clients not just in equities in sovereign bonds that uh, act as a safe haven uh, other examples might be gold um, and green energy funds have been uh, reasonably attractive. So these are solar and wind at a time when clearly the world is um, uh, conscious of uh, carbon emissions and uh, global warming. So those sorts of characteristics, I think, coming back to your question, um, mean that whilst fear does uh, is an attribute uh, of everybody. Um, it is something that by limit trying to limit that by focusing on quality um, that I have found um, is, in my personal experience, has been the most important characteristic going into a crisis and coming out at the other side. Okay, that's interesting. And I, I think fear um, really is, is something that's born uh, from the unknown. What, what we don't know, uh, we, we tend to be afraid of. And I think that's, um, that's being played out with the, um, you know, the health crisis that, we, that we're in at the moment, because there's still so many things we don't understand. But if I was to sum it up for you, based on what you've just been saying, um, your own level of confidence in terms of the portfolios that you manage, uh, it comes from the fact that you've refined a process through long experience. So you know, you understand fully what it is that you're investing in. And so that gives you the confidence when you find yourself in an, in an uncertain moment, like, like we are uh, in today, that you can stay the course because um, you know that the businesses that you invest and the investments that you make will still be there and will be able to recover uh, once we're on the other side. Is that fair to say? Hmm. Yeah, very much so. And it's interesting that there's a quote I've got here from uh, actually uh, an online broker who um, have an article, uh, How Not to Invest. And it's, uh, it's by Hargreaves Lansdowne. And you can find it if you Google it. So uh, interestingly, it says, um, if you, as you flick through the annals of the most innovative 200 years the world's ever seen, you find atrocity after atrocity, to name a handful, the Napoleonic War, the American Civil War, Crimean War, the cholera epidemic, the San Francisco earthquake, World War I, the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, World War II, Cold War, Vietnam War, the Persian Gulf War. Yet, in spite of the unimaginable suffering, civilization has progressed at an unprecedented rate. Economic output per person has increased by a thousand percent on average. And electricity, telephones, cars, computers, clean water, penicillin, airlines, and so much more have become part of our language and lives. So, um, I mean, that quote is an interesting fact that clearly uh, 
these are unprecedented times, but I think if you were to go back through each of those events, you could say, uh, you could speak in a similar fashion. So clearly human beings, are, our ability to innovate and to, to survive are, are quite key metrics in this. And ultimately, uh, we will find a solution to uh, the COVID crisis, whether that's a vaccine, I don't, no one quite knows yet, or whether it is uh, the way that society evolves. But um, uh, there will be uh, clearly some uncertain times ahead. But I, I believe that we have tried to focus on um, companies that have that will be robust during this time um, and and come out of it stronger. So, and that uh, gives me uh, a lot of reassurance personally. Yes, I think some of the problem is that um, is that good news doesn't tend to sell uh, newspapers, and probably um, social media only accentuates um, that sort of phenomenon. So, just a, a final question for you: um, Are there always opportunities that arise at these times, and and how do you make sure that you're positioned to be able to take advantage of them when when they do arise? Yeah, so uh, hindsight investing is a wonderful thing where you can look back on the past and it seems obvious to you at the time what you should have done. And interestingly, if you go back through my career, the times of uh, the tech bubble fallout, uh, where before, just at the peak of the bubble, there were some companies like Diageo, Unilever, consumer goods companies that were very lowly valued, um, tobacco companies being another good example. Um and then 2003, uh, the market hit a low point and rebounded extremely swiftly. So the market tends to drop when uh, nerves and fear are at their highest. And clearly, you never quite know the bottom when you're going through the fall of markets. But uh, I would say um, uh, the each crisis brings a degree of opportunity um, it does take nerves of, of steel to invest when market fears are at their highest. And as you say, uh, newspapers sell uh, bad news. And perversely, when we are uh, feeling our most optimistic tends to be when the economy is doing very well. And that seems like a good time to invest. Actually, uh, the time the perfect time is 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 doing again what Warren Buffett has said, which is be greedy when people are fearful and vice versa. Um, so I wouldn't say this year. I think the path ahead of us is genuinely different this time in terms of being unprecedented. Um, if we do have a second wave of the virus, or if uh, the realization takes hold that the level of economic um, activity is significantly um, lower than we were last year, it could be that we're in for another bout of volatility. Um, should that happen, I feel that there will be some opportunities ahead in terms of buying good quality companies that perhaps are exposed to more of the economic cycle than the defensive assets that I've spoken about that we're currently invested. Um, so uh, my philosophy here is to keep an eye on the headlines, um, look at the signals that might uh, happen in terms of um, the market going through a period of, of another low point, 
and perhaps that presents an opportunity over five to ten years but um it it's i think personally it's important to avoid being um looking at a view on two months as to a company you might think is distressed um and would recover because equally uh, it could go lower so I, i think that answers your question yeah, that's great. Okay, well, thanks for your time, Rob. I think that's uh, that's been very useful. 